Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I am your host, Doran Wallach. I'm an entrepreneur, a mother of two, a wife, and a 40-something trying to figure out what is happening in this decade. Why is no one talking about it? I created this podcast to help women in their late 30s and 40s to figure out what is going on in our mind, body, soul, and life. We may laugh, we may cry, we may get frustrated, but most importantly, my goal is to make this next chapter of life positive. I'm also full of my own questions and I'm here to go on this journey with you. So let's do it together. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode. And today, yay, I'm so excited because I have Vanessa Williams on the show. I wasn't nervous one bit before this interview. I got to tell you, I, I, I had a good night's sleep last night. And my, my hands weren't trembling when I was doing the interview. I'm joking. I was actually petrified, and she was so wonderful and so easy to talk to. I'm always honored that anybody wants to do my show, truly. They're putting their faith and their trust in me to make them feel comfortable and to look good. It doesn't go unnoticed, so all my guests are important to me, whether they're as famous as Vanessa Williams or not. So today is episode three of Wise Women Over 50, and a friend of mine met Vanessa Williams while acting with her, and she called me and she said, you have to have Vanessa on the show. She's just so amazing to talk to, and she has so much wisdom, and I really think she'll be a great guest. And I was like, uh, great. If you can set it up, that'd be wonderful. So here we are, and I have to tell you, after doing my research and reading her book and um, listening to her on podcasts, I truly fell in love with her um, as a person. I just uh, I want to go to dinner with her. Um, she is a, a dynamic woman, humble, intelligent, and, and so many other things. So uh, it really was an honor to interview her. And she really fit the bill for my wise women over 50. Vanessa Williams is one of the most respected and multifaceted performers in the entertainment industry today. Having sold millions of records worldwide, Vanessa has also achieved numerous number one and top 10 hits on various Billboard album and single charts. Pop, dance, R&B, adult, contemporary, holiday, Latin, gospel, jazz. I don't think there's anything left after all that. Her critically acclaimed work in film, television, recordings, and the Broadway stage has been recognized by every major industry award affiliate, including four Emmy nominations, 11 Grammy nominations, a Tony nomination, three SAG Award nominations, seven NAACP Image Awards, and three Satellite Awards. Her platinum single, Colors of the Wind, from Disney's Pocahontas, won the Oscar, Grammy, and Golden Globe for Best Original Song. A graduate of Syracuse University, which, by the way, I went to my freshman year. I did, forgot to tell her that, but then I transferred. It was cold. Uh, Vanessa is a strong advocate for equal rights, especially concerning the gay community and minorities. She was honored with the Human Rights Campaign Ally for Equality Award for her humanitarian contributions. Vanessa also achieved a career pinnacle with a star on the Hollywood would walk of fame in 2007. Bubble Kisses, Vanessa's first picture book for children, released in 2020, tells the story of a young girl with the ability to transform into a mermaid. This effervescent, lively tale is based on a song which is also available with the book 
and as a download. Her autobiography, You Have No Idea, co-written with her mother, Helen Williams, was a New York Times bestseller in 2012. Get the book. I loved the book. I thought it was so wonderful, really easy read. And by the way, the children's book, I heard the song, and in the podcast, Vanessa mentions that, you know, hopefully if you're sick of Baby Shark, and I don't have little kids and I am sick of Baby Shark, and this song, uh, I hope this song catches on because it's one that you'd want to hear over and over again. Vanessa's recent Broadway credits include co-starring with Cicely Tyson in The Trip to Bountiful, the number one play of the 2013 season, After Midnight 2014, and a special limited engagement in Hey!, Look Me Over at New York City Center in 2018. Vanessa is the mother of four, Melanie, Jillian, Devin, and Sasha. Her charitable endeavors are many and varied, embracing and supporting such organizations as Concerts for America, Special Olympics, and several others. Hi, Vanessa. Welcome to It's Not a Crisis. I cannot thank you enough for taking the time to be here. I know that you're a very busy woman, (laughs) um, but my listeners I know we're going to be so incredibly grateful for your wisdom, and I, I'm grateful to uh, my good friend Christy for introducing us and connecting. Yeah, Christy, I met I met Christy, but we did actually we worked twice together doing a a mutual friends uh, who happens to be a priest who's also an amazing uh, playwright. We did his uh, a reading of his play in the Vineyard, right? Vineyard, and also at in in, the, in Orange County at uh, Chapman University. So we've worked together twice. Oh, that's great. Mm-hmm. She's she's one of my favorite people in the world. Yes, yes. She, she always she always lifts me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so well, I want you to know that in preparation for this interview, I read your book. You have no idea, which I loved. Ooh, good. Uh, I, and I feel I feel like I know so much about you and your family. Um, I listened to a bunch of podcasts that you were on, and um, I, I'm just really, truly uh, blown away by you. I just think you're a woman who doesn't give up or let anyone or anything stop you. You seem like an amazing and caring mom, and you just love being a mom. Um, and I also I love your carefree, creative spirit. I don't know how I don't know how that's evolved as you gotten older, but you're younger free spirit I loved. <laughs> Hearing some of your stories, I was like, oh, we would have been good friends. <laughs> we would have gotten into a lot of trouble. That's yes. the problem. <laughs> that definitely would add Christy to that mix and it would be a bad situation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and by the way, so this is not part of the, the interview, um, but I just watched you on a live and I saw like four different people saying, can you give us a beauty tip? Can you give us a beauty tip? And I'm thinking to myself, oh my God, look how gorgeous you look. Is there one tip? Well, right now it's a good ring light. That's for sure. I I got that immediately. Uh, once, uh, the uh, last year's COVID, uh, isolation went down. Um, I have one too. I know it doesn't doesn't do that to me, what it does to you. (laughs) Know your angles. So lighting and angles have a huge, they wash away a lot of the lines that, uh, are, are natural when you're uh, in front of the camera. And then I think coverage is really good too. I use a variety of things like Laura Mercier. She's got a, um, a, a secret camouflage that just like you can dot it on, uh, dark spots or, or little age spots or just any, any kind of skin issue that that'll smooth it out and then just get a really good foundation that has coverage, but it's kind of light with a little bit of luminescence. Amore, I also work, uh, I use that, uh, I layer that with uh, some other things. Um, some of the, w- one of the ones that's really convenient and available in drugstores is Iman. 
Oh, She's yeah. got a great line mm-hmm. and it's affordable and you can get it easily. And just learn how to do your face. Uh, yeah, I've been lucky to have had Kevin Aquan and Scott Barnes and Sam Fine and, and all these amazing people uh, do my face over the years for many years. And I just watch and learn the tricks and learn how to do a defined eyebrow and ask questions. Okay. What, what brow powder are you using? What brush is that? You know, what's the bronzer? And, um, cause there's so many tutorials now that oh, uh, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Yeah. yeah. But the good ones have the good, the good secrets. So, uh, the ones that have the books, as I mentioned, Sam Fine, Kevin Aquan, uh, Scott Barnes, uh, they all have, you know, published books out that will give them, give you tips to, to, get a good face. I definitely find as I get older, the paler lip works better. I mean, sometimes I go, let me just, let me throw on a red lip and it just ages me. I feel, uh, it used to be hot when you're young and you've got like just a, a blank face with a lash and a nice hot red lip. You can get away with that. The older you get, I think it, it brings too much attention. So I, I think the older you get, the more you can, um, make your lip more pale and, uh, keep your skin as smooth as you possibly can in terms of, um, less contour and, and then just work on the eye. By the way, I tell my mother all, my mother loves makeup and she wears red lips all the time. She's 73. And I'm like, mom, when you have no lipstick on, you look so much younger. And she claims her lips aren't for people's viewing. I don't know. Anyway, so as you know, our audience is in their late 30s and 40s. And I started this podcast out of having my own questions that weren't being answered. I just felt like there was a lot of lack of support and guidance at this age as opposed to other uh, decades in our lives. And just so much is changing with our bodies, our minds, our families. So my first question to you is what was happening in your late 30s and 40s in your life? Late 30s, I got married for the second time and I had uh, my daughter Sasha at 37. So she kind of kicked off the, the next phase of, of mommyhood because my other three I had in my 20s. I my first kid at 24, second at 26, and my third at 30. Uh, and I got married at 23. So that was like my 20s working, establishing myself. 30s were kind of, okay, my career's going. Let's uh, dedicate myself to the, my career. And then Sasha was my little bonus trip. So my late 30s, early 40s was dealing with a new marriage. And my husband was six years younger than myself and kind of digging in on um, my career a bit more. We, let's see, how old was I? Mm like early forties, uh, the, the marriage lasted six years. And then I got divorced for the second time between getting divorced and my father passing away. I kind of wanted a, a, a big change of life because I was just so speaking of crisis, which is the name of Vera, <laughs> you know, we have lots of crises and, and divorce is one of the, the hardest to get through, especially if you have your kids. But, um, you know, having those two kind of back to back within a couple of years, I kind of reassessed, like, what do I want to do? That's when Ugly Betty kind of approached me time and time again. And I just said, no, no, no. And it was one of those things where I said, okay, fine, I'll do it. And uh, that was my kind of my my 40s, uh, a whole new career on television 
we had four great years, I had three Emmy nominations, and after that, did uh, Desperate Housewives. So it was a pivotal point for me, I, I, I would say, uh, late 30s, early 40s. That's interesting. And did you have any time to process the hormonal changes that were going through your body at that time? From Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I tried to stay on top of it. I went to um, Suzanne Summers, who was kind of the the mm-hmm. icon of aging naturally and beautifully. Like she a thousand, with thousand pills, I remember. <laughs> exactly. She worked works with a doctor named Michael Gallitzer. And I started going to him when I was probably 44, 45 or so, because, you know, I could feel that, you know, my, my periods were getting every other month and getting lighter and had a couple of nights where I'd get these hot flashes. And I said, Oh my gosh, what's this? And my mother, I had asked my mom, when did she go through uh, menopause? And she had stopped menstruating at 51. So I knew I had like a, a five, five year window of time that I needed to kind of ease what the symptoms were going to be. So I've done bioidentical creams since my my mid-40s, and that is plant-based. They're identical to progesterone, estrogen, and testosterone. And I've been doing those for years, which I really really helps. And I, I know when I don't take them and I start flashing really bad, I was like, okay, what I'm, the protocol that I'm on is actually working. So I'm a big fan of bioidentical hormones for just maintaining the symptoms, but also um, I think it, it helps to maintain like your your skin texture and uh, and somewhat your weight gain even though it's, it unfortunately does happen. Yeah. Yeah. Where, who, so sorry, who do you see for the bio? Uh, is there um, Dr. Michael Gallitzer? Gallitzer. Okay. Uh, Gallitzer. He's in, he's on Wilshire Boulevard in, uh, in LA. He, I think it's, it's called like the American Institute. Some people would think it's hippy dippy, but he's got a machine that has a, I, I know it's a German machine. He has a probe on one end and he kind of like puts the probe on one of your fingers and he tests for, thyroid. He'll, he'll test for liver. He'll test for all these different functions. And then he'll put a little vial in, into the machine that tells you whether it's good or bad or whether you need it or not. And then you get these drops from him that you put sublingually. And again, that, that really helps with, you know, I, I think respiratory stuff for me, thyroid, pancreas, uh, adrenal, all those things tend to deteriorate the older you get. Yeah. Oh, the, I'm so excited to hear about this because I, I nobody has, I mean, and, I've, and I just had the head of Mass General Women's Health on last week speaking about PMDD and uh, perimenopause. I, I'm so thrilled to hear that something works for you and it gives us hope for those of us who are like, what the hell's going on with my body? And, you know, and I don't think anyone talks about the perimenopause stage. I think they talk about menopause. There's another tip that I have. Uh, I got it from a, a little like crystal uh, incense store up in Beacon, New York. I walked in, I was hot flashing and the woman behind the, the counter is like, oh, I have something for you. And I was like, oh my God, how did she know, A, that I was have a hot flashing? And she gave me this little pump bottle and it's called Tame the Flame. And they have a travel, uh, the travel case is like in metal. And then there's one that I had by my bedside in like a blue glass pump uh, bottle. And it's just, again, organic. It's got like peppermint in it, um, obviously alcohol to maintain it, and something else. And you just, when you feel a hot flash coming, you spray the back of your neck, you spray your all your pressure points, the back of your knees, you can spray your uh, wrists, and it just just takes that 
surge away. Uh, and especially when I'm on the plane and, you know, I'll get all wrapped up and then I'm going to have a hot flash. I'll rip off all of the, you know, my sweater and then I have to put it back on. It's that's what you have to look forward to. <laughs> tame, tame the flame. You need something to tame the flame. Tame the flame. <laughs> I, well, I'm glad to know about tame the flame now. So when I'm getting there, I, that's so, it's such a great name too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The name of that place was called Heart and Soul, I think, in Beacon, New York. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Beacon's a cute area. I like it there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You were gifted with many talents and achievements from being the first Black Miss America to amazing roles on Broadway, film, TV, countless nominations and awards. So w- with the pandemic and also just getting into our 40s and looking at this next chapter, I think a lot of women are reevaluating their career choices. I think it's, you know, their path to stay at home or working moms and the amount of time they should be with their kids before they leave for college. I know personally with my fine jewelry business, I'm actually looking at my own career and deciding real where, you know, where I really want to be. I think I think both age and the pandemic has made us all think about that. Also, as Generation X, we were told growing up that we could do everything and it's not possible to do everything perfectly. We all know that. Um, and I think a lot of us are, are kind of burnt out at this stage. So for women who are entering this time in their lives and feeling guilty in every direction about not doing it all, what would be your advice to your younger self about balance? And what have you learned from your kids about being a working mom and balance now that they're older and they're able to reflect back on that? Well, the first thing is there is no balance. So when you're in heavy work mode and you know, you've know you got a five-year window to maximize your value, that's when you've got to call in your troops and get support and dive into the work mode. My kids have always come first and I've always worked my career around my kids' schedule. And I I remember, I remember one time I was on, I was on Broadway with Cicely Tyson and Cuba Gooding Jr. And uh, we were doing Trip to Bountiful and I did this interview and the woman said, you know, I I thought you'd be much bigger than, than you are. And I thought I had to like check myself and like, okay, I'm starring on Broadway with Cicely Tyson, who's one of my idols that I grew up watching and Sounder and, you know, all all of her films, uh, doing what I love, driving home at night after my show to be with my kids. And this person's perception is, oh, I thought you were going to be bigger. So I checked myself and instead of being offended, which I initially was, I I took a breath and just said, you know what? I have taken a lot of time out of my life to raise my kids. So I wasn't available for everything that I could have done, you know, that might've made my career different in a bigger or, or different way. But I was at every function my kids were at. My kids are polite, well-mannered, educated, humble. It's because I was there with them. I took them everywhere I went. They've been exposed to the world, but they were also parented by me and not by a staff or a nanny. And that's how I kind of reframe like, okay, what her priority and what her assessment is not equal to what my value and what my worth is to me. And that's what you kind of have to wrestle with. Uh, and be fine with and let go with, you know, don't compare yourself and don't put yourself in a competition where, oh my God, that person did this. I've got to do this. Oh, she was 35 and she did this and I haven't accomplished that. And you beat yourself up and you wind yourself up and it does you no good because whoever you're competing with doesn't know what you're the anxiety that you're going through because you think that they're in a better place. You never know what people are going through 
and what it took for them to be there and how long it'll last. So just worry about yourself. And I don't say worry, but just be in your own lane and take what your calling is, devote yourself to whatever that is for a while because it'll all change. Kids grow up, that dynamic changes. Education, those dynamic changes. There's really nothing that you can really count on in life. And that's why you have to kind of surrender to life and, and what it has to offer, but also be brave enough and have the courage to, if you get something that uh, is an offer that you didn't plan on, to be able to have the bravery to go for it, because that's when you get another gift that you weren't even planning on. And I know that was a long, long answer. <laughs> no. Oh my God. That was such an amazing, wonderful, true answer. And I'm so, I'm sitting there nodding my head because to hear that, this is exactly why I'm having you here. I think we need to hear that. You know, I think it's, I, I, I say over and over again, especially now with the pandemic, I, I, it's very unfair to women at times. You know, I mean, we don't get to get to where we want to be if we want to be an involved mom. And as much as we choose to do that job, we're also not able to achieve the things that we want to do in life until maybe later on. And uh, But that was such a n- wonderful reminder for anyone who's feeling that just to know. I think you don't get that reward, though, when your kids are younger. I think you later on realize, like, oh, I did a good job, and they turned out okay. But cherish those younger days. It makes me crazy when, you know, people are rolling their eyes and like, take my kids, please, and I can't wait till this is over. And you've bitched and moaned about those amazing formative years that you never get back because kids grow so quickly. And they are, and they are, they, they absorb everything. So if they see your attitude about, oh, kids suck, my marriage sucks, being at home sucks, that influences them. And, you know, it, it, they internalize that too. So you got to really, you know, as Stephen Sondheim, you know, I've sang many times when I was a witch on, um, on Broadway, careful the things you say, children will listen. Careful the things you do, children will see and learn. So just be, be mindful of your parenting skills and take a breath and enjoy it because it's going to go so quickly. My oldest is 33 years old already. And, um, you know, I would love to have grandkids now so I can live through those amazing formative moments all, all over again. Thank you for that reminder because I'm guilty of all of that. And <laughs> <laughs> it's been hard. It's been a hard few months <laughs> for, for, for parents. Speaking of your kids, your mother, so you're uh, a 20-year-old Sasha, 27-year-old Devin, 31 Jillian, and 33-year-old Melanie. Three girls in there. We'll go into we'll get into that later. Do you think your kids ever felt or feel pressure living up to everything that you've accomplished? And if so, how did you raise them or are are you raising them to not feel that pressure? I think the most pressure for my eldest Melanie was we uh, we were living in LA, very similar to what happened this past year. Um, you know, Rodney King was beaten, it was caught on captured on video, and then all the cops got off and uh, violence ensued and basically it was looting and rioting and, and all kinds of upheaval. And I ended up leaving LA in 92 on the heels of that. Cause I said, I will not live in fear trying to raise my kids driving down the street and not feeling safe in the town that I choose to, to live in. So I moved back to my hometown and I didn't plan on it because we looked at a bunch of houses back here in Westchester, New York, but I actually found a house that I loved in Chappaqua, which is where I grew up. 
So my kids grew up in the same schools and same school system that I grew up in. So the pressure wasn't, are you going to be an entertainer? I think the, the pressure was me as a student going through the school system. There were uh, certainly teachers that were still teaching that I had that my kids ended up having. So I think the expectation of what myself and my brother were back in the day in the hometown was a little stronger than what people expected them to be in the media. And uh, Melanie ended up uh, going away to private school because she just didn't want the comparison. Jillian uh, was fine with the comparison and loved the the public school that I went to. And Devin was fine. And uh, Sasha kind of bounced back and forth from New York to L.A. because I was doing Ugly Betty. And then I came back and then I did uh, Desperate Housewives and back again. And now she's in college out in California. So there was comparison that way. Uh, because it's a hometown girl coming back home, the social media aspect wasn't as bad as it is now for them growing up. So the comparisons weren't as blatant as what my 20-year-old has to deal with being on, you know, Snapchat and and, uh, Instagram and having also, you know, Sasha has um, a famous father who's, you know, three-time Laker world champion and, and a huge presence in Los Angeles. So if anyone had to deal with most of that, it would be Sasha, and she's dealing it really, really well in stride. So luckily, um, I think being, and I don't want to say grounded, but not living in, we don't live in the middle of the city. We don't live with paparazzi at the end of a gate, constantly being judged. They do have somewhat normal lives. And I think that really helped temper the comparisons and the that drive to stay relevant because you are a child of a celebrity. By the way, I'm, I I don't know you well, but I'm guessing that you, from just what I know, uh, have you know really told your kids to be who they are and what they want, follow what they want to do, and not feel that they need to do what you've done. Absolutely. My my parents were, you know, my parents are music teachers, so uh, music was a requirement in our household. We all had to play instruments and, and, and until we graduated from high school. But as a result, I'm a musician that can walk into a studio and read music and play the piano. And I know I'm not just the girl singer behind a mic looking at a a lyric sheet and saying, you know, can you hum it to me, sweetie? You know? And, um, my parents said, well, whatever you want to do, make sure you're skilled at it and, and, and have an education. So, my kids, they were certainly creative. Their fathers are all creative and come from creative families. So Jillian has a band called Lion Babe. It didn't surprise me that she would be in the entertainment business because she's danced her whole life and has a spectacular uh, stage presence. Melanie as well. She's a Pilates instructor, but she had a long dance history and is very creative and, and uses her body as her 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 business, but also it's her art. My son is a really creative guy and has designed sneakers and graphic. Uh, he does graphic designs and 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 plays music and does his own mixes and stuff. And then Sasha is a filmmaker and an actress and has done um, you know television work already. The kids all grew up watching me read scripts, giving them opportunity to say, "Oh, can you run this scene with me?" They all play instruments. They all were immersed. They've been on Broadway in my dressing rooms. They've been in my trailers when I'm on, on movie set. You know, they've been in my dressing rooms uh, on TV sets. So they understand how hard it is to work, but they also get the making of whatever I do. And 
I, I will support them because they're passionate and they're really, they've got a great work ethic. Oh, that's so wonderful. So I have a 13-year-old girl and I heard you say, uh, I, I believe it was in a podcast. I love this. So I, I need you to expand on it though. Cause as you said it, I'm like, talk it's more, more, more anymore. You said they go in like lambs and they come out like lions and they can't help their hormones. You said to have compassion, don't reason with them. They will come back. The minute they said it was, it's a girl. I was like, Oh, oh no. I'm going <laughs> to screw this up and she's going to hate me. So, so tell me a little bit more about that, because I thought that that little piece of advice and wisdom is so helpful for those of us who are about to step into the teen years. Well, just as women go through their uh, change of life and become erratic and, and become not who they are. I mean, I can I can remember like, geez, I hate the way I'm treating people. I hate the way I sound. I hate what I'm doing. It's because your hormones are out of whack. And that's what happens in seventh grade, usually. You're queuing up to get your period. Uh, you're still a child, but your hormones are, are starting to, to activate. And your, your girls are, are lashing out because they're getting uh, this surge of hormonal energy that they don't know how to deal with it. And as mothers... We are the safest place to fall. We are the safest place to lash out because they know we will always love them no matter how crazy they act and what, what histrionics they'll display. They know, even, even their dad, I think they, they have more respect for than their moms because mom, yeah, exactly. Because moms know that, you know, we can take it, but we'll always be there. So, you know, I say again, be patient because they really can't help themselves. And I think when I look back at, you know, I was the only girl. My mom is, I would say she was very strict. And uh, my dad was the one who was the soft place to really talk about things and, and, and vent and not be judged. My mother had high expectations and there was not a lot of leeway to kind of be free. So when I felt that I was bitchy or, or uh, you know, impatient because my hormones were raging, it would be check yourself. How dare you? Excuse me. Go to your room instead of having a beat like, okay, what's going on with you? Let's sit down. Okay. Let me give you a quick neck rub. All right. Go to your room and, uh, you know, we'll talk about anything when you've calmed down. That's what I would have liked. That's what I did not get. And that's kind of what I have used as a practice with my girls as their, I got very active with my first one because I was doing what I remembered. How dare you get your room? You don't see it that way. <laughs> by the second, by the time Jillian reached that, I kind of understood what she was going through and gave her space. And again, I'm not saying be completely, you know, take abuse from your kids and don't put them in check. I'm saying just be aware of what they're going through, have some compassion, set limits for sure, but don't react to their reaction because then you never win. You, they're, they're slashing out at you, then you're lashing out back, then they resent you, then you resent them. And you're also, as a mother, it's the death of the, the child that you loved that relationship with. So that's kind of what you really get pissed at as a mom, like, wait a minute, what happened to the beautiful, lovely, adoring child that I raised? Who is this kid? So you're almost mad at the concept as opposed to this poor girl who can't help herself. Right. 
Not to mention we're also going through our own hormonal changes. <laughs> so the patient's level yeah. is definitely hard sometimes. But that, that that's great advice. And I, it is really hard sometimes, though, to take that advice. I mentioned it in, in my book that you mentioned. Uh, you have no idea. One of my great lessons was uh, I would get in a huff, walk down the hall, and slam my door. And uh, they would say, don't slam the door. And, and I sl- took your door off. Yep, my dad said my dad went in the garage, got his uh, his toolkit out, and literally just took the door off the hinges and put the door in the garage and said, uh, "At this point, you don't deserve privacy, so you will not get your door back until we say uh, you you can." I love your relationship with your mom. She was obviously very tough on you in many ways, but she also seems like she inspired so much of who you are, and. Um, Obviously, your relationship with your father was so beautiful, and I'm I'm really sorry to hear that you don't have him in your life anymore. I actually teared up when I read that in the book because it was from from page one. It was just clear how special your relationship was. So I'm 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 sorry for that. I look at my parents, and they were a great duo because my dad was nothing but sweetness and life. I mean, he certainly you know there were parameters, but he was the soft loving, um, gentle, uh, warm, huge, you know, hugs that did squeeze you. And my mom was the taskmaster, you know, and I, I see myself as I age and I don't have them, but a, a lot of my, my friends don't have their moms. A lot of my cousins don't have their moms. And my mom has become the one that everyone, Oh, you're going to bring your mom to the barbecue. Oh, please bring your mom to the party. Because not only is she the life of the party, but she's that living embodiment of uh, I'm still here. And uh, just like, you know, Elaine Stritch would sing on Broadway, she uh, has a spunk about her. I mean, even with COVID, she said, I'm not going to get COVID. I'm not gonna, I refuse. I, I refuse to get sick. She, of course, she all the protocol, she, she's, she's very diligent about that. But she's like, life is here to live. And I'm not getting sick. And she walks every day. She's ri- driving her car faster than ever now. I was like, Mom, you need to slow down. Her fire, because if I said to my dad, you know what, I want to be a teacher, he would be he would be completely fine with that. My mother would say, well, you know, you're really good at dancing. Maybe you should think about being the first Black Rockette. Those were her like nuggets of, I see it and I see what you can be and it's going to take some work, but I believe you can do it. So she's the real one that sees opportunity and would say, go for it, go for it. My father believed in me. My mother was like, you can do it. You better get in there. This is your chance. Now you live next door to your mom. Is that right? My mom lives next door to me after my dad passed and they, they, um, the house that I grew up in is, you know, like five miles away. After my dad passed, she it was there for a few years and she just said, listen, this, this is really, my dad took care of everything. And it's, it was a lot. And she said, you know, I, I want to give this house to another family and, uh, the house next door to mine, my neighbor had passed away and the sons were selling it. And, uh, she ended up buying the house next door to mine and tore it down and built her dream house. And, uh, so she's living next door to me. So I see her every day and the dogs come over and we get the paper and, you know, and say a quick hi. And then I I walk back, back across the yard to my house. Oh, that's so nice. Many of us are at my age or entering this time in our lives where we sometimes feel that we're all of a sudden kind of 
parenting our parents or, or starting to feel like we have to do some things. And my parents are in their 70s. Uh, my stepfather is almost 80. So they're at that age where like they don't need me to take care of them yet. But there are times where I need to remind them about things and they get mad at me for parenting them. But it sounds like your mother is very self-sufficient. But are you feeling that you're kind of coming into that role at all with her? And, and how do you how do you have balance and boundaries with that? Well, her problem is she's so self-sufficient that, you know, like I'll, I'll see her on, on the ladder trying to blow off the leaves on the eve in the gutter, like mom, oh my God. There are, get down. There are people that can do that. Or uh, one day I came over and she had a scratch. Her lip was swollen. She had a scratch under her no, uh, eyes. Like what happened? She's like, oh, well, you know, I was just trying to fix this and I tripped and fell because I was looking at the neighbor driving up. The and I was like, mom, you have to. So I'm my, my, I think I'm trying to slow her down yeah. because she still thinks that she, well, which she can, but she will put up her own tree and climb up a ladder and change the light bulbs and, you know, and, and, you know, do gardening by herself and have the wheelbarrow. And I love her for that. It'll keep her young forever. But so those are things that I have to manage so she won't hurt herself any more than she already has. Right. That's, so that's a that's an opposite problem, which is... A, a, <laughs> I remember my mother begging my grandfather to stop driving at like 86, and he was a terrible driver, and he refused to do that. So the last thing I really want to talk to you about that I found so impressive that you had mentioned, you had talked about on a podcast, uh, co-parenting. And I, a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends who are going through divorces at this age. And you said something along the lines of, I never wanted our kids to panic when mom and dad were in the same room. So kids come first. I wanted to make it Zen. And, and I think you said your ex-husbands took your kids on a ski trip together. Together so, without me. Yeah. Wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I am just, I, I am a child of divorce and I just did a podcast actually on divorce. And, um, I can't tell you how much I appreciate this because my I always tell my parents, I said, you know, your divorce did not affect me, but the way you handled it, and continue to is what affects me. It's, uh, you know, the fact that they were never able to be a team in any way, shape or form and and put me in the middle of all of it um, is really what affected me. So I, I, I think bravo to you for trying to make that work. I know it's not always possible with everybody. You know, people have different situations where they, they you know, can't do that. What is your best co-parenting advice for other women to make it work? Well, I always put the, the children first. And, and again, I, I did not want to have one of my kids get married, like, oh my God, mom and dad are going to be, uh, you know, in the same aisle, what's going to happen? Because, you know, that happened with um, my first husband and like, oh my God, you know, is your dad going to bring the girlfriend who was the one who broke up the marriage? I mean, all this drama and uh, it ended up being fine, but I never wanted to have that burden for my, my kids to have to worry about. But the bottom line is, and I get, I think my, I pro, I go through it hard and I process it and then I'm out the other side. So that's how I deal with crises. That's how I deal with pain and grief. I feel hard. I feel strong. I will cry for days. I will, but I commit to it and then get through it on the other side. So the people that are stuck is what brings disease, what you never can get over, what kids have to deal with. When you can't get over something, that does a disservice to you and your own health. I married wonderful men. They were great men. Some were not great fathers when they needed to be, but they were all great men. And I have no regrets with the choices that I made marrying them and having children by them. So what happens 
within a marriage ebbs and flows and years go by and people make choices and stuff, but you have to, again, take a breath and have your children come first and learn to put your, whatever the drama, whatever the instances, that's the past. Turn that past, that history into wisdom. So you're not holding on to negativity and you're not holding on to that story. The story is something uh, that was in the past and you have to transform it into wisdom and then that will carry you for the rest of your life. So it's like ticking off a box. Yes, I've been through it. I've felt it. Now what's next? And you embrace your exes for the people. I mean, I, I see who they are and the reasons that attracted me they still have, you know, a sense of humor doesn't go away. Their valor, being courageous, being really smart, those things don't go away. So it's much easier to, for yourself, to let that stuff go and convert it into wisdom. And then it's almost like a clean slate. And then you can have a wonderful, I mean, I, I had uh, for Thanksgiving, two of my exes at my brother's house for dinner. They walked in like, oh man, how are you doing? Blah, blah, blah chit chat and they're friends. So, uh, you know, you can do it. It's possible. It's funny. My parents, uh, who would never be in the same room together, probably about six years ago, started coming together for Thanksgiving with my brother and his kids solely because of the grandkids. From what I've seen from my friend's experience, I feel like it's harder for the men to let go. Uh, I I see the women kind of taking the higher road and, and the men are not not all the time, but in a lot of situations are the ones that are, I, I don't know if it's an ego thing or what it is, but when my friends have tried to make amends and just tried to say, let's, let's just do this for the kids, they've had pushback, uh, animosity, whatever it may be from the men. So yeah, it also depends on whose decision it was exactly. and who went, who went first and, and what the, the reasons are, but that's, yeah. it would help if you would, and I, I certainly don't want to say stroke their ego, but it's, recognizing their goodness. Like, what are they good at? And why did you fall for them in the first place? And what can they add to your kids' lives that you don't want missing? Because again, if you if you lose them, then you lose a big part of, uh, unless they're, you know, obviously doing something that's uh, completely, uh, you know, disruptive and, and abusing your kids. That's, that's the protection thing that moms jump in and have to. But if it's a personality thing, if it's a uh, you know, kids need need both of that because they're you're, they're half and half, and they need to feel valued because it's part of their DNA. Wow, you're, v- Vanessa, this uh, every single thing that you've said has been so wonderful and so helpful. Oh, <laughs> I'm really, truly, I'm the, uh, like everyone is gonna just fall in love with you. Um, uh, <laughs> so tell me, I, I, I know that you have to go. Um, you, currently, you are working on a few things, um, Black Theater United, your uh, new national best-selling children's book, and you're heading back to the West End in London this spring to open City of Angels. Can you tell us a little bit more about each of those things? Yeah, I was actually kind of busy during uh, the pandemic. Yeah, really. Um, <laughs> my, uh, my children's book, Bubble Kisses, came out and uh, was, it was the perfect time because everyone had uh, opportunities to, to read uh, to, their, to their children. And it also comes with a, a great song called Bubble Kisses. And uh, for those who are sick of Baby Shark, uh, go oh, get Bubble Kisses. It comes with a CD and you can also download it on iTunes and, and Spotify and stuff. But it's a, it's, a, it's a great swinging song and um, 
the animation is gorgeous. So that was fun. That was my first uh, that I've that I've done. And um, what, what made you want to do that? Well, Bubble Kisses was a song that I had been sitting on for over 25 years. And I kept saying, ah, oh, when I get a to do a children's album, I'll, I'll put it on the children's album. I just never got around to it. And I was uh, actually Sasha, who was in her freshman year at, at Chapman. And I was at one of the barbecues for the parents and another mom came up to me who had a son who was a freshman and said listen you know if you ever think, think of writing a book you know I'd love to work with you and I said well actually I wrote one with my mom called you have no idea but I've got another idea and uh, she was also based in New York and you know once I flew back we met and uh, uh, Teresa Thompson at Sterling Publishing said uh, I love the idea and we worked on uh, bubble kisses so hopefully this will be first uh, of a series, which would be wonderful. So that was just perfect timing. And City of Angels, which got cut short a week before we were about to open on uh, at the Garrick Theater in the West End in London. We're going to do kind of like a, a truncated version, a concert version of it, the end of, of January, January 20. Well, we start rehearsals January 21st, but uh, the end of January, early February, we're going to do, uh, we'll be at the Palace Theater in London. Just kind of people can see it. The, the, it's a bigger theater, so they'll be socially distanced. And then we hope to have the full production probably by the early like June. We're looking to, to actually have the run so we can actually open it. But that's wonderful. And um, what I was flying over the first time to start rehearsals, um, you know, January of 2020, my daughter was uh, sitting next to me and uh, we're, she's, she was on break and uh, she was looking forward to hang out in London with me for a couple of weeks. And uh, I said, Oh yeah, let me, let me read uh, the, the list of the cast members. And she said, I said, oh, no, Theo James. And what, she's like, what mom? I go, yeah, <laughs> Theo James plays. And she's Theo James. She burst into tears. She's like, mom, you don't understand. He is my dream. You didn't, you have to tell. So she like freaked out (laughs) because he's a huge divergent star. Uh And that was like her, that she had the book. She went and saw the movie. Yeah. So she was very, very impressed. And of course she met him and, and, uh, so she's anxious to, to see him again once we get up and, uh, up and running again. But, uh, so Theo James plays, stone so uh anyone who's a divergent fan uh he's he's amazing he's he's a great actor but i had no idea he was such a good singer isn't isn't it the best when you like your kid thinks you're kind of cool for something (laughs) (laughs) yes finally (laughs) i say to my kids i'm like i don't understand like i'm i'm cool like you don't say my daughter's like you are so not cool i mean i was i was trying to impress her with my interview with you today and no offense that didn't work I'm way too old. I mean, I'm sure. She, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, you know, even she's probably too old. I did the Hannah Montana movie because my son, my daughter was obsessed with Miley back in the day, and that was that was 2008. So that's still a long, long way uh, ago. I'm trying to think. Yeah, what, she was one. Yeah, right now I'm doing the voice of Captain Beekman and Tots, so I'm pretty big with the two and three year olds. Ah. Um, <laughs> Uh, I'm I'm sure after she listens to the podcast, if she listens to the podcast, (laughs) she will be impressed. Thank you so much for doing this with me. I I fell in love with you after reading your book and I don't even know you. And I know that Christy is one of my closest friends. It's very clear to me why you became friends. And I I think maybe when the pandemic's over, the three of us need to go do some salsa dancing together or something. Visit her. She's now a neighbor in Westchester. I, so, yeah. I know, and I um, I haven't well, really I haven't really announced this to anybody yet, but I'm I am actually moving to Westchester too in January. So Christy's oh, nice. 
Yes. Yeah, she's very happy. I'm coming. I'm we're oh, good. 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 Well, we'll you, when you when you move and you're all settled, uh, let's uh, let's have coffee for sure. I would love to do that. I would love to do that. Best of luck with all your upcoming success. Thank you so much. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to give yourself permission and know that you are not alone. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. Reviews are always appreciated. And you can reach me by email at it's not a crisis at Gmail, Instagram, it's not a crisis podcast. And please join our Facebook group as well. Until next time, just remember, it's not a crisis. <laughs>